Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that you are with us. Lord, in good times and in difficult seasons, Lord God, you are faithful. And I pray, Father, by your Holy Spirit and through your word, for you to bring hope, comfort, and strength, Lord God, to every soul here today, every man and woman who's going through a valley, Lord God, going through difficult seasons, Lord God, breathe your breath of life and speak your word in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Good morning. We are in week two of our new sermon series called Let There Be Light. And it's addressing some of the difficult questions. If you didn't listen last week, get Pastor Simon's podcast. All of our podcasts are free. Just such a powerful podcast, such a powerful word about God. And next week, Pastor Siv is going to minister on on good and evil. But today we're looking at hope and we're looking at suffering. Now there's an old Jewish story, old parable. But a young man who comes to the rabbi and he says, please explain suffering to me. And he says, take this mustard seed, young man. Go through the entire village. Find a home where there's been no suffering. And at that home, plant the mustard seed. So off the young man goes. And he's gone for many, many days. And he goes from house to house, asking, trying to find a home where there's been no suffering. And eventually he comes back and he says, I couldn't find one. And he said, that's the point. Suffering is common to all of us. Every one of us experiences it. And, you know, when I I consider my life and as I minister to you today, it's not only as a minister of the gospel. It's as a son, as a husband, as a father, as a brother. Nicholas' dad passing unexpectedly and unnecessarily due to negligence in the hospital. I consider the, the, the difficult, brutal time that my mom went through, through cancer. I, I contemplate on my son in matric not being able to even write his, his mid-years because of just deep depression. And what Nicola and I still go through with her back. And... Uh, We all walk with suffering, and and let me hasten to add, I know that many of you go through far worse than that, far worse than what Nick and I have gone through, or have gone through far worse, But, but this is the truth. God's word strengthens us. God's word comforts us, and although we all walk through these things, this is what hope is. 
Hope is to simply believe that something good lies ahead. And I've got good news for you today. So I'm going to start with with understanding suffering from a conceptual point of view, from a biblical point of view. And then I'm going to move onto the biblical side of it. Sorry, onto the application side of it. First, I want to look at the origin of suffering. And there's four origins of suffering. There's four reasons why we suffer. And the first one is because we live in a fallen world. And the Bible says that creation, and that word creation means everything. It's from earth with its monsoons and earthquakes to you and I with our depression and aggression and evil and whatever to the viruses that we face. All of creation was what? It was subjected to frustration. What is frustration? It's devoid of truth or appropriateness. There's a perverseness or depravity or a frailty or a want of vigor. So what's the, meta, what's the meta-narrative? What's the big story? The big story is this, that we were created for a garden, and that's how it starts in Genesis. We were made to live in perfect intimacy with God, without sickness, without disease, without suffering. That's the start, and that's the end. Read the book of Revelation. We're going to be again in a garden without sickness, disease, suffering. But it's the middle part is where we're living right now. And man, mankind sinned against God, rebelled. And so sin and suffering came into the world because of the choices of mankind. God foresaw this. And there's a great contingency plan. And and his name is Jesus. That he came to suffer so that we would no longer have to suffer. And so he took the sin and the suffering of the whole world upon himself. And yet the Bible says all of creation groans waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. So we are still in that phase where the full work of Christ is being rolled out. One day every tear will be wiped away. One day there will be perfect health. But we are still in that phase now. Now eternity resides in our hearts. And that's why we say I'm looking for the beautiful I'm looking for the perfect. I'm looking for that which is wonderful. And something in us says there's more. You know it. We all feel it. The world should not be the way we experience it. And it's right that we feel that way. Because we're not made for a world that is so broken. We're made for a world that is perfect. G.K. Chesterton in his book Orthodoxy, which I highly encourage you to read, says, Christian optimism is based on the fact that we do not fit into the world. The way the world is now, we're not meant to accept it. We're not meant to fit in. And that's why God has touched us and changed us and called us and caused us to bring hope and to bring healing and to bring comfort. But I ran ahead of myself. So the first origin of suffering is because of the fall, because we're in a broken world. And when my boys were growing up, I explained this to them. When you, when you see the world not as it is, you don't accept it. You understand that all of creation is subject to frustration. The second cause or origin of suffering is people. What people do to each other in exercising their freedom. People are hurtful and people are neglectful and people are murderous and people are lustful and people are rebellious. And 
stuff happens to us because of what people do to us, and we've all experienced that. And stuff happens to people sometimes because of what we do to them. So some of suffering that we experience is because of what fallen people do to one another. And it shouldn't be this way. And that's why we preach the gospel. And that's why we're believing for transformation. The third thing is there is evil incarnate. There is an adversary. Satan, he was the archangel. He was in the presence of God and and he arose in rebellion. He wanted to, to go up above God. And he hates God. And he hates you and I because we have been made in the image of God. So if he can't get to God, he gets to us. He tries to poke in God's eye by dealing with us. So so we are facing an enemy. And then lastly, the last origin of suffering is ourselves. So on Friday morning, um, I went for a, a mountain bike ride. And as I got on the bike, I was like, this tire doesn't look so great. And it wasn't great, and it was pretty flat. And rode up Northcliffe, coming down at high speed. I just felt like, is this wheel properly on? And as I took the corner, I mean, just everything just fell beneath me, you know. And uh, some, I'm hobbling a bit, etc. But that's minor, okay. But that was my fault. Sometimes the reason why we suffer is because of our mistakes or our choices, or our rebellion, or our sinfulness. So those are the four origins of suffering. But what is God's response to our suffering? Jesus in Colossians 1 is described as the image of the invisible God. He is God himself. But as you see Jesus moving on earth, this is God's response to the suffering that we experience. And the first thing that that you notice is when he came across the, the woman at the well, when he came across the woman who was caught in adultery, when he cast demons out of the Gadarene demoniac, when he, when he dealt with the lepers, he never said, this is your punishment. He never said that. Jesus said, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. The only time he dealt harshly, if you want to use the word harsh, was with the Pharisees, with those who said, I know better, with those who said, I don't need God, or I don't need Jesus rather. But what did he continuously do? He continuously brought healing. He continuously ministered to the people. He loved them. He let little children come to to him. And he called them to the Father. This was Jesus' response to the brokenhearted. This was his response to those who are sick, who are ill, who are oppressed. He often put a question to people. Like, the man who's sick, what do you want from me? I mean, hello, hello. Because we have choice. And the best way to live in life is to live as people who understand that we are empowered. And we can make choices because that way we're not victims. And so God puts to you today, how are you going to respond to your suffering? How are you going to respond to this difficult circumstance that you're in? He implied, John chapter 9, that even our suffering can be redeemed, that good can come from it. When they said, Jesus, this man born blind, was it because he sinned or his father's? And he, his father sinned, and he said, neither. It's so that God might receive glory. So even our suffering can be used for good. And then lastly, Jesus' response to our suffering is that he came to suffer. Is that he took the sin 
and the pain and the suffering of the whole world upon himself. And he paid the price for us that we will one day be with the Father and every tear is wiped away. And we are whole and we are strong, our hearts, our relationships, every side of us. Now sometimes, or sometimes I did this when I was growing up, I kind of saw Jesus as like Superman. That nothing affects him, except for kryptonite, but like basically nothing affects him. But that's not Jesus. Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. He came on this earth, says he had no beauty to, to attract people to himself. And he went through every single thing that you and I could possibly go through. Betrayal, heartache, torture. And it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Don't you love it when people get you? When they get your jokes? When they, you don't have to like explain everything to them, but they get you. Understand this. Jesus gets you. He gets your good days and he gets your bad days. He understands the pain that you go through. He understands the frustration, the depression, the heartache. Whatever you are going through, Jesus understands it because he's been on earth in the flesh and experienced everything that we've we've experienced. I love the way Tim Keller says it. Give me a moment. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting, but it's superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw upon us. And Jesus sees you as you are. Sees the pain, the suffering, the heartache, and he loves you. And he's there for you today. At the end of the service, we're going to have a moment at the front. And if you are going through hard times, we're going to trust for his comfort to come in. And this is the mystery. Jesus moves as the body ministers to the body. Through the laying of hands, through simple prayers given by other people, that we can get stuff from God through people. And if you're going through a difficult time of suffering, there's hope, there's comfort, and there's refreshing here for you today. Your response to your suffering, option one, is to become bitter. It's to become angry and critical towards life, towards people in general. And ultimately, you become bitter towards God. You become vengeful, mistrusting, and negative. The Bible warns against this. It talks about, see to it that no one falls short of the glory of God, and that no bitter root. Everybody right there? Everybody's fine. Everybody's fine. And see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. My opa, my grandfather, for various reasons, he had a stroke, etc. But he became, I think it was about the last 10 years of his life, he became a bitter man. And literally on his deathbed, he came to Christ. But because he was bitter, it was hard for my grandma. And it was hard for all of us. 
how you respond to suffering is up to you. Another response is that you're just like hammered. You're just battered. You're just broken. You're hopeless. You're paralyzed. And this is what the word of God says. This is what Jesus says. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. I grew up on a plot, and we had Germans that lived next door to us. And we used to break off bamboo sticks and then throw it at them. We used to throw sticks at them, and they used to do the same back to us. We used to fight the Germans. (laughs) You pick up a stick, and if it was bruised, if it was not strong, then we just like throw that one away. Because a bruised reed is useless. It's not going to fly straight. And a smoldering wick, likewise, just irritates. And there's no light. There's no heat. God's promise to us, God's promise to you, is if you are that bruised reed, if you are that smoldering wick, he's not going to leave you that way. He will strengthen you. He will heal you. He will comfort you. And better is the third option. Will you allow the hard time that you're going through to make you kinder, more compassionate, deeper, and wiser? You know, because of Nicola's sickness, and I mean, she must tell her story, but for me, and it's been good. I've cried more tears than I've ever cried before. And it's been good for me. It's been transformative for me. It's changed me on the inside. And there was an incredible bunch of research done by a guy called Victor and Mildred Goodsell. And they looked at 413 famous and exceptionally gifted people. It was a research called The Cradles of Eminence, if you want to look it up. And they spent years looking at what produced this greatness. And they looked at all these outstanding people. And out of the 413 people, 392 had to overcome very, very difficult obstacles in order to become who they were. There's a story by Parnell Bailey who went to an orange grove during the peak of summer. And this orange grove was dying. And he said, why? And they said, it's dying because the pump is broken and we're not giving any water. And he walked across the road and there was another orchard and it was thriving. And he asked, why is this one thriving? Has this got a pump? And the owner said, no, it doesn't have any pump. But when these trees were young, I frequently kept water from them. And this hardship caused them to sink their roots deeper and deeper in the soil, to search for moisture. And now my trees have got the deepest roots in the area. And while others are being scorched by the sun, they are finding moisture at a greater depth. How are you going to respond to the hardness that you're going through, the suffering? Bitter? Are you just going to stay battered? Or are you going to choose to become better? Some of the benefits that some people who have suffered far more than, than I have ever talk about, benefits that come through suffering, like Nick Vujicic, you might have heard of him, incredible Australian. He, he was born with a disease, and um, it's called Amelia Tetra Amelia Syndrome, which means you are born without arms or legs. And the way he lives his life is just incredible. Um, in preparation for this, 
I read this book by Philip Yancey, published in 1977. It's a classic. It's called Where is God When It Hurts? And in the book, it also tells the story of Yoni Erickson and how, as a teenager, she became paralyzed. But how, through her suffering, she found God. And through the suffering that we go through, often the fruit of it is a that a dependence comes on God. Secondly, that we develop an empathy for the suffering of others. And with the comfort that we've received, we're able to comfort others. Suffering helps us to appreciate what Jesus has done. And suffering aids us towards growth. And it refines our character. You know what a character is? Literally, it's an indentation made by pressure. You know, I consider so many of the, the freedom fighters of this land, when they were incarcerated, when they were in jail, how they could have become hopeless. Instead, so many of them just allowed transformation to come into their hearts and how they came out better men and better women. The question to ask is not why. I was with a, a man in the running club yesterday. I didn't run because I was broken. I just went to buy bacon and then I saw them and I <laughs> couldn't resist. <laughs> and, uh, and he was saying he struggles with, with the why, but I don't believe that is the question we should be asking. The question we should be asking is to what end or what should my response be? And I'm going to give you two broad responses to suffering. The one is the existential one. And it's this. We are the front line of God's response to a suffering world. We are the ministers of reconciliation. We are the bringers of hope. Yes, you can consider your life and say, my life isn't perfect. But the miracle of it is, is as you minister life and hope and strength and comfort to other people, even you receive it yourself. And 1 John 3 verse 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So our first response to suffering is to say, Lord, use me to alleviate it. Use me to be your vessel. You know, I'm so grateful that this church does it. I know so many of you do it with your own initiatives, but I, and, and, and well done. I also know the, the Havens. I mean, through the Havens ministry, so many of you support and serve in. We've had, Pastor David, how many babies adopted? 223 babies found their forever families. Thank you, Lord. And, and the Car Guard program where men who are just in desperate straits are given dignity and hope and, and the word and some finances. And Transformation Freedorf, us ministering into, into communities that are far more, uh, that are impoverished in a desperate strait. And, and uh, Malabongwe, women in distress. I'm so glad that we are stepping out and acting as the hands and the feet of God. And it also breaks us out of being all about me, all about my needs. And as you do that, comfort and strength comes to your own soul. But the other response is just as valid. And this is what 
It says in Psalm 22, which we heard at the very beginning, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As I conclude, I want to give you five things out of this passage of Scripture if you are going through a time of suffering. The first one is that there will be dark valleys. Jesus said, in the world you'll have trouble. In Israel, close to Jerusalem, there's a place that's literally called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It's by the Kidron Valley, just north, I think, north or east of, of the temple. And uh, it's this massive valley where there's just tombstone after tombstone. And when the Jews have their festivals, they would light lights all through Jerusalem and, and into every valley, but not into this one. Because it's a dark, deep valley. And, and we all at times go through valleys. The second thing is, the word of God says, I shall, I shall fear no evil. We need not fear. We are not called to be afraid. And no matter what you are facing with Jesus, you need not fear. Because God is with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He, he goes before us and he hems us from behind and he puts his angels charge over us. And he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. It doesn't matter what you're going through. As you turn to him, he's with you. He's with you. And fourthly, there is comfort. And, and we want to minister comfort. And God wants to touch you with comfort today. If you're in a place of, of great discomfort. And then lastly, we know this. After that verse, it says, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. As I walk through, you don't stay in the valley of the shadow of death. You walk through it and you come out of it. Some of it will be complete tomorrow, next month, next year. Some of it will be in eternity, but we walk through it and we end up in a place where there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, but there's healing and wholeness and deliverance.